Hey, it's Richie, and before we start this episode of the show, we want to tell you about DraftKings, of course, as always. This weekend, UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. It is, of course, the return of Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal in a rematch of their previous fight going down in Jacksonville, Florida. And if you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. You're going to pick six fighters, stand under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. You can download the DraftKings app right now and use the promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. I'm Corey Crenshaw. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back in Sporty Nation. Happy Monday, everyone. It's great to be talking to you all again. Um, I'm all kinds of happy because of the fact that Richie made me one of the coolest milkshakes ever the other night and I'm I'm already ready here to brag about it because of how awesome it was so to get right into it introducing as always my wonderful and amazing co-host Richie Suave Flores how you doing hello Corey I'm glad you enjoyed it it we were talking about it for weeks on end seemingly and we finally got to try it and it turned out very very well we you saw the pictures on our Twitter and Instagram and how it how it looked in our, in the glasses Corey did a great job with the with the frosting around the rim of the glass with the Oreos so her glass looked better than mine but i assure you it tasted del- just as delicious yeah which i i did win that poll that we had put on Instagram and it is 86% me, but you did get 14%. I think the 14% was literally just me. And that's, I voted for you myself. You know what, Richie? You should just take that for what it is and not look into it. But I, I admitted that you did a better job than I did. I even said that on Twitter. And I, I said that that particular picture that you put out asking who did a better job was the perfect encapsulation of our friendship because your glass was a lot, had a lot more attention to detail and mine was very hastily put together and and didn't look as quite as good and i feel like that's like the perfect encapsulation of, of you and i hey uh, it, you were just there for the milkshake you didn't need all of the decorate decoratory uh parts of the milkshake you just wanted the milkshake itself which i can't hate on like you know that's the whole point and it was very very delicious that's exactly that's the only that's the reason why i made it is because how, how it tasted including the my own infused vodka with the vanilla beans that turned out okay i did i it it tasted fine. We both, Corey and I both did a shot of it, and um, 
No, I and Kat butchered the boomerang of it, so you guys did not see the shot. Um, but I, according to her, we took too long in doing the initial cheers. So, tisk tisk tisk. But yes, we did a shot of it, and uh, I handled it better than Corey did. I would just like to point that out. That that is actually very accurate. Um, it it burned a little bit more than I was expecting it to. What what vodka was it? It was a vodka that's been sitting in my cupboard for a long time. The name of it is called Fuzzies. Fuzzies, like yes. like the taco shop on Mill. Yes, spelled very similar. Yes. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah, no, it did not go down um, as smoothly as I would have liked to have it to have had. Um, I it's not, it's not like vodka isn't something that I shoot because I I have taken shots of vodka before. I don't really mind vodka. I don't really mind tequila, whiskey, and stuff like that. Isn't really a shooting thing. But anytime I've tried to tried to, that's not really ended well. Um, but like I've shot vodka multiple times and it usually doesn't bother me so um i don't know why this time it really bothered me though i was i was having a hard time i was trying to keep it together though <laughs> i'm just glad that you tried it at least because vodka in my opinion isn't obviously meant to take shots of vodka for goodness sake so um i we tried because i wanted to try and see how it tasted Tasted okay. Wasn't the greatest. Little it, the vanilla was there, but it wasn't like, like very very, pre- prevalent. So it was like, oh, an, it was an ancillary piece to the actual milkshake itself, which was mostly Oreo and then rum chata, and the rum chata is what really made the drink, because that's what like really made it from tasting like a regular Oreo milkshake to kind of giving it a little bit of a cinnamon flare on it too and then that's that's kind of what made it yeah no the the vodka you were correct it it had a little bit of a vanilla taste but the vanilla taste came at the end like it it kind of stopped by at the end waved hello and that was about it um but yeah the rum chata in there is what's a very nice touch to it because it did it added a little bit of cinnamon which made it actually, you know what it kind of reminded me of? My churros that I get at uh, Churroholic that are the cookies and cream one. It's, it was kind of similar to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's true. So it was like a liquid version of the churro I like, which, I mean, makes it sound weird, but it, it was delicious absolutely delicious the only thing is is richie didn't put an oreo on the top of mine because mine was in a wine glass so it was a little too big so mine didn't have the pretty little oreo touch on the end because mine was had too much space in it yeah and that's on that's on me because we didn't have the right glasses that's okay i i I drink enough wine that i'm so accustomed to a wine glass that it felt very at home to me so Again, mostly about the taste. That's what we were aiming for here. It was just an experiment. Yeah, it was delicious. I sent uh, Richie another one today that involves Pink Whitney and something else. I don't remember exactly what was in it. It's a Pink Whitney Mimosa. 
Is that what it was? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to do a Pink Whitney Mimosa. Um, I, the only thing that I'm a little bit, like, not sure of is whether we should do this as, as a daytime thing, because it's a mimosa. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big mimosa person at all, so that, I don't know when you drink them, I don't know what, I don't normally know what the heck's in the stuff, I don't really like it, um, but I will give this one a try. So, we could do it in the daytime, we could do it. Um, at night, whatever works. Yeah, I, um, I, normally mimosas are like a brunch thing. You go to brunch and you have a mimosa. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, day parties, you go to a bridal shower, you have a mimosa, you go to a baby shower, you have a mimosa. If there's, if there's a large day party full of women, you have mimosas. <laughs> but um, that's basically what it is. And, and anytime you do breakfast or lunch, you can have a mimosa involved. I have. There is two different kinds of people. There are the people that like an even mix of like their champagne and their juice. And then there's the people, then there's the person that's like... Uh, Basically all champagne and then a dash of juice. So, yeah. So here's my plan for this. Because he, he, this is another tipsy bartender drink. He doesn't tell you how to proportion it exactly. But my plan would be to do like equal parts Pink Whitney and, and champagne. We have a champagne in mind that we're going to use, which isn't really a champagne. But it's is it – would you consider the – FU twenty twenty sparkling rose. That's basically a champagne, right? But in rose yes, form. Yes, I have used sparkling rose multiple times for mimosas. It works just the same. Okay, so that's the per and that's also pink, so it works with the theme. So my 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 idea for it would be you do like uh, an ounce of, uh, an ounce or so of the the pink Whitney. I think you do about an ounce of the um of the uh of the of the, of the the, uh, the of the wine right you do an ounce of the wine so you make it even parts and then you fill it with the pink lemonade that's how i would mix it personally i think it sounds delicious i put all my faith in you and cat who used to be a bartender um so i think you know between the two of you i feel like it's going to be something delicious, honestly. Um, I will intervene if I feel like it's going haywire, but I, I really think that you've got this under control because after that milkshake, I have full faith. We also don't have mimosa glasses, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you, you mean flutes? Yes. Um, I'm trying to think if I have flutes or not. Uh, oh, wait, I do have champagne glasses because I got them as a, um, as a, like an engagement gift. So I do have champagne glasses that we can use. Um, you can also do just mimosas in wine glasses too. Like it doesn't have to be. Uh, yeah, you, that's, that's true. If you wanted a little bit more. Yeah. So if you, <laughs> the, the whole point of morning mimosas is to get you, drunk that's why they do uh bottomless mimosas at places 
Uh, yeah, those are very popular too. Because if uh, I feel like the white women of America love themselves a good, good mimosa and a good brunch. Yeah, I don't, I, I've discovered recently that I don't brunch properly. Like, I would much rather, like, if I'm going to to brunch, be, like, comfy and drink some mimosas and eat some breakfast. Because I really like breakfast. The problem is I like coffee too much. So I would rather do, like, coffee than a mimosa. Like, or, or I'd want to do, like, coffee and then a mimosa. Like an Irish coffee? Yeah, I would rather do like an, I would actually, yeah, probably rather do an Irish coffee than do a mimosa. Um, I would do a mimosa more for like lunch, just like lunch by itself, like give me my breakfast with my coffee. Um, but, you know, I, the whole idea is to dress up for brunch. And I, I learned recently when I was going, when I was at a bachelorette party that um, everyone needs to get all types of done up and, you know, even in heels and stuff going to brunch. I, I don't live that way. I would rather wear some yoga pants and like a plaid shirt and be comfy and drink rather than get all cutesy. But, um, I guess to each their own. I agree with you on that. Why? There's no need to get dressed up to to drink in my opinion or eat for that matter just go for the food and the booze exactly <laughs> get get comfy <laughs> so stay tuned for that sporty nation we will be making that drink at some point eventually in the near future uh so you can stay tuned for that at some point all right um let's move on to talking about the coyotes and the game on Saturday against the Blues. And, of course, the big story coming out of that game is n not what happened during the game, but w what happened before it. And that is, of course, the Coyotes honoring the legacy of Leighton Accardo before the game by inducting her name and her number into the Coyotes' ring of honor, her number 49. And the Coyotes wore really cool warm-up jerseys before the game, too, that you can uh, check out on our on our Instagram. We actually put out a picture of them on our Instagram page and our Twitter and the Coyotes social media channels, too. They ended up auctioning those off and, and went for a lot of money, several of them. There were, I looked at to, just to see how much they were going for, and a couple of them were going for, like, four and five grand apiece. I was like, oh, okay. So look at you people go. That's great. Yeah. And I believe, I don't know if that money was going to go towards the scholarship fund for Leighton Accardo, if it was just going to the Arizona Coyotes charities as a whole or the Coyotes foundation as a whole. So I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but they did all that before the game and it was really, really, really great. And if you, if you missed it, I actually want to play a little bit of the tribute video that the Coyotes production team put together and played before the game. It's about five minutes in length. We're not going to play the whole thing. I'm just going to play a piece of it. But um, if you were like me, Sporty Nation, now I was watching this game alone. I was watching this game from the radio station in our, in our, in, in the, um, in the studio here. And like, I was getting teary eyed. It was very emotional to watch. And some of the, uh, 
Darcy Kemper after the game kind of said the same thing. It was like, you know, I was getting a little, I was getting a little emotional watching it. So I want to play a little piece about 30 seconds or so of the piece that the Coyotes did for Lane prior to the game. She was my daughter, a fighter, an athlete. But most of all, I think if I had to pick something, I would say that that, that she was loved. She was three when she started skating. I figure skated when I was a kid, so I was really excited to get Layton on the ice. Layton was in the stroller, and I think the phrase was, how long till she can start skating? I said, today. <laughs> it came to her so quick, because she's just she was just such a natural athlete. You know, she grew up around the ice, figure skating, hockey, and then just her just being her, she just excelled at it. She wanted and so if that did not bring a tear to your eye watching that five-minute video on Saturday or since then, like, you need to get yourself a soul. Because it was like, that was really emotional to watch. I can't imagine how emotional it was even being just being in the building for that and being around, you know, 3,000 other Coyotes fans who were probably crying just as much as the rest of us. And uh, it was kind of what we thought it would be, Corey, which was a very emotional night for the team in general. But... um a, a, an amazing way to a, uh, you know, admire an amazing little girl. And I don't know if you cried, but I certainly did watching that video. And, um, and, and she deserved that recognition from the team. Damn it, Richie. I promised everyone that we wouldn't get emotional. Um, uh, when I was on blue notes earlier today and I, that even just listening to that, I'm all emotional it's just it's a it's a really sweet and really touching moment but it's also so heartbreaking at the same time and it just i don't know it's one of those things that's really hard because she's such a sweet and inspiring little girl and and she was just taken from us way too soon yeah and and that led into the game itself which i and we talked about this prior to the game too on the last episode which is like would there be a little bit of a slow start for the Coyotes because of that? Would they be kind of overwhelmed with the emotions of of honoring Leighton before the game and then also the emotions of being involved in such a big game as we approach, you know, the, the last 10-plus games of the season? And in a way, I kind of felt like that was the case because for the first 10 minutes of the game, they were bad. Right, I mean, they didn't look ready to play this game, and you were like, "Oh no, here we go again." This team's falling flat on their face in the biggest game of the season, and I don't know how much their emotions played into it. I, I think they were all kind of some of the players after the game were, were coy about it, and they're like, "Yeah, it didn't really, wasn't that big of a deal," but we kind of knew that we had to rebound and and come back and win the game for her, for Layton. And luckily it turned around because I thought the last 50 minutes of that game, the Coyotes turned it around and they were the better team for pretty much the entirety of the game. And, and they earned that win. They just didn't get lucky. Yeah. It, uh, it was, it was one of those situations where the Coyotes came out very flat, as you said, and then they started going into the, the end of that period. The the chances that they had at the end of the first period was that first glimmer of hope, that kind of moment where you could see them starting to turn that curve. 
and you never know that that can sometimes be the motivation, uh, that momentum literally ending that period can move into that next one, which is what happened. So the second period was much better for them. And the shots on goal alone, it was, it was 10 to four uh, favoring the Yotes, obviously. And that was when they really started to hit their stride. And it was really nice to see because of the fact that the Coyotes, you know, really came into that first period not looking good. Their their penalty kill gave up a goal and it, their penalty kill hasn't been looking very good. So the last thing you wanted to do was really give up, you know, any um, penalty minutes in this game because of the fact that every time your penalty kill seems to be out on the ice, they're not performing very well, which is good because, you know, they they only gave them that one opportunity and they just really progressed throughout this game. And I, as I was on with the blue nose guys earlier today, I was kind of laughing because it's just insane to me how they can find their feet when they're playing the blues, as opposed to any other team. It's could be the fact that the blues are very similar in a lot of different ways to the coyotes, but it's the one team that they are able to figure out a way to find their stride and get back into it because there is a long stretch that went on of just complete losses that were, and not, not all of them were completely heartbreaking losses. Some of them were just complete garbage losses. And so to get them back into a, a good stride was going to be difficult. We had said before that, you know, the blues had gone on a winning streak as the coyotes had gone on a losing streak. And I said this might be that turning point because of the fact that, you know, everyone has to lose eventually. And the Blues always seem to have an issue with the Coyotes. So this could be their opportunity. And I'm glad to see that they actually seize that opportunity and that they did what they always do with the Blues, which was basically find a way to get under their skin and get their confidence back. And it's it was so important to see that, and they did it again by, in in my opinion, playing some lockdown defense in their own end, which is something that they've struggled with over the last couple of weeks, where there's just so many breakdowns from so many of their defensemen, and it happened early in the first ten minutes. Darcy Kemper gave up a couple of goals in his first start back in several weeks, and after that ten minute mark of the first the Coyotes started to play more in the offensive zone and basically made sure that the Blues weren't able to generate any offense from it, right? Kind of similar to when the Coyotes struggle. They're spending too much time in their defensive zone, so by the time they get the puck, they have to go and change and they can't really sustain any offense. That's kind of what was happening in the Blues here is that they're spending so much time in their defensive zone that they couldn't sustain any, any offense, and it worked in favor of Darcy Kemper and the Coyotes' defense. And the Coyotes' defense came to play, too. They got a goal from Alex Goligoski, his second goal of the season. He continues to have a really nice back half of the season for the Coyotes. And then they got, of course, the big assist from Jacob Chickern on what was the game-winning goal from Michael Bunting. And and that's kind of how the Coyotes won the game. They won it from their defense out like they do when they're playing well. And from their defense, from their goaltending out. And, you know, Darcy Kemper didn't face that many shots, but he did his job only giving up the two goals. 
and and that's that's textbook and uh, I was kind of surprised a little bit to see Darcy Kemper back in net in such a big game because he looked rusty early on. He really did, giving up a lot of big rebounds off his pads that he doesn't normally do. And by the time that he got he got settled in, that's when the team got settled in and they were able to kind of turn the, turn the game around and get the W. And and Michael Bunting getting, getting the game-winning goal, as I mentioned. And I want to spend a second talking about Michael Bunting because we talked about him, I believe, on last week's show. We've talked about him a lot over the last couple of weeks because he's been so stinking good. But here's a little stat for you, Corey, that I don't know if you saw. He came up, his first game since his call-up was March 31st. He's played in 10 games since then. He has seven goals in those 10 games. And that is sixth in the NHL in that period of time. In the entire NHL. He has the same amount of goals as as Nathan McKinnon in that time, Artemi Panarin, TJ Oshie. He has more goals than Alex Ovechkin and Miko Rantanen and and a lot of other big-name players in this league. And that's impressive. And he has been maybe one of the best storylines to the team this year since his call-up because he is so good, Corey, at something that the Coyotes have been missing for years under Rick Tockett, which is a player that just goes straight to the net at every opportunity he gets because that's what the Coyotes were missing is they were missing those kind of dirty goals, those dirty players that can get in the crease and score those dirty goals. And so many of Michael Bunting's goals have been just that, including the game winner where he got right in front of Jordan Bennington and got a perfect deflection off of a bomb from Jacob Chickering's stick. So if the Coyotes want to make the playoffs, Michael Bunting is going to be a big reason why they do it if he continues his hot play here in the first 10 games of his recall. Absolutely. You have to give him props in the fact that, you know, he's tied for eighth in goals on on this team when he's only been here for 10 games. And he's tied with Johan Larson just behind Derek Broussard. Um, he's three behind Schmaltz and Garland, um, you know, and then Dvorak, Chikrin, Keller and Kessel all the way to the top. But, you know, he's He's above people like Lawson Krauss, who you would like to be seeing a lot more goals out of. And he's um, above Christian Fisher, who has none. Like, there's there's people on this team that you would like to be seeing payoffs from and that you had been liking to see payoffs from throughout the entire season. And they never fully got there. He came up. It's been here for 10 games and has been contributing the entire time. And that is, I feel like the one trending thing that you have been able to see from um, this organization is the fact that if, if a player gets called up, they have been hungry and they've really been wanting to show that they can contribute on this team and that they deserve to be up. And I think that should scare the daylights out of a lot of guys on this team because they aren't performing the way that they should. And yet these guys that are getting called up absolutely are. Yeah. 100%. You're taking advantage of the time you're given and Michael Bunting is earning his minutes at the NHL level. And and it's in a season where 
And I was talking about this with Kat the other day, and I, I and she agreed with me that in previous seasons, Michael Bunting does not get this opportunity. The only reason he really had got this opportunity this year is because of this COVID season where Rick Tockett is kind of trying to interchange some of these taxi squad players and get them some playing time so that way, you know, they can see the ice basically. And they've been big pieces of the team this year because of some of the injuries that the Coyotes have had throughout their lineup, right? You know, you've had these guys step up and play and Michael Bunting is one of them. And there's a reason why, like he hasn't gotten much, he didn't get much playing time in the past because there just wasn't a spot for him on this roster. When whereas this year there was, and now he's taking full advantage of it. And you're seeing other guys kind of make that same type of contribution. Like you're seeing guys like a um, like a Lane Peterson come up and and play some more minutes at 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 this level, and a couple other players too come off the taxi squad and 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 get some minutes for this team. So. Yeah, it's that's uh, one of the things that I think Rick Tockett likes, right, is getting these taxi squad players in and having them contribute, especially Michael Bunting, who you know is just going to, I feel like, going to get more and more playing time as the season kind of comes to a close here over the next couple of weeks as we're under a month ago now left in the season, basically. And, um, and man, has he been fun to watch. And, and, I, and he is a free agent coming up this offseason, and I can almost guarantee you that he will be back as an Arizona Coyote next season. I'd absolutely love to see him staying here. It's funny because they, again, earlier when I was in that conversation, that they had been, they were asking me, um, you know, about Garland and about um, basically that there, there's rumors that there were calls for him during um, before the deadline, and so they asked basically what. I would what I would take in order to uh, give up Garland. And it's funny because I, I told them basically it would have to be something that would replenish the pipeline for the organization, considering the fact that a lot of it has been completely damaged um, from the Chica era. And so um, I, I was kind of went into detail on, on a lot of that and said, you know, between the pipeline and, you know, some, some people to compliment certain players like Clayton Keller, for instance, and the fact that, you know, he, he needs to be more of in a playmaker role than he's in right now and so on and so forth. And I go, but I really would like to not get, give up Connor Garland because of the fact that he has this grit and this energy and this fight in him that is so contagious. And he seems to be able to um, bring that throughout the season. He hasn't really dipped in that. And he has been able to really kind of elevate this team in that regard. And I would hate to get rid of that. There is a similar feeling from Bunting on this in the fact that he, the minute he came up, he was playing more of a grittier game and he was contributing right away and just brought in this energy that is contagious through this team. And there's plenty of players that have really been lacking that and really haven't been contributing to um, to, to the vibe of this team, that, that scr- scratching and clawing vibe. So that's the type of player you want to be keeping around is the ones that are really trying hard 
and are contributing on the team at the same exact time. So um, I really feel like Bunting has that same Garland vibe, and I would love to see both of them around for for a while. Yeah, especially in, like, those two players are the perfect example of the Coyotes taking their time in developing players and not rushing them to the NHL level. So when you see guys like Connor Garland who took – he was in the AHL for, what, two full seasons, I'd say, before he got a shot at the NHL level and has since stuck around. Same thing with Michael Bunting. Michael Bunting is – you know, it took him several seasons in the AHL and a pandemic to get him back in the lineup like I just talked about. And and so it just is a testament to a lot. Some of these guys just take time to develop as NHL players. And that's something to keep in mind as the Coyotes bring along some of these younger players in their system, right? And that includes a guy like Barrett Hayton, who the Coyotes originally we're counting a lot on this year in terms of taking a big leap forward. He just hasn't done that. And obviously he's now back down in the AHL playing for the Roadrunners. But just keep that in mind. Michael Bunting now is 25 years old and is finally flourishing at the NHL level. Yeah, it's Everybody is not Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews who come in at 18, 19 years old and dominate. It takes time for some of these players to develop. And, I think and you also have to account too in the fact that like Austin Mass Austin Matthews went and played overseas in their professional leagues to get himself prepared for the pace of the game in the NHL. And not every player has done that or has had that opportunity. Yeah, for some players it takes time. And and we saw this kind of this a similar thing too with Ilya Labushkin, where it took him time to develop his skills at the NHL level even though he came in as being a little bit older type player spending a few years in the KHL but he's only finally starting to really become a key piece of the, on this Kyrie's roster and and congratulations to him he signed a new contract or will sign a new contract for another year coming back next season to the Coyotes um at just um for, and we'll, and we'll be back on this team next year which is good so you know, and uh, quickly, I mentioned Barrett Hayden. I'm just kind of curious because I want to look up his um, how he's doing at with the Roadrunners this year. Um, the Roadrunners are kind of like up and down this year. They're not really the greatest team in the world because so many of them are playing on the Coyotes this year. So well, and and their coach is also up yes, this year as well. That's true. So Barrett Hayden's stats right now for the Roadrunners: he's got only five points in 16 games right now. I think part of what they were trying to get out of him by sending him down was that same fight. And we always go back to talking about the fact that, you know, Bunting and, and Garland have this fight in them because they they knew that they had to prove something. They had to fight for their position. They had to fight for their job. And I think Barrett Hayton um, thought that he had gone through all of the proper processes in order to have a position on this team and have it be a solid position where he wasn't going to be going back down um, because he was not very happy when he was sent back down. And I think what they were trying to do with that is create that type of um, that type of hunger, that type of fight in him and, and really try and get rid of any entitlement he may have 
because of the fact that they need big things from him. And it's very, it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes because of the fact that, you know, when that type of pressure I feel like was applied on uh, Clayton Keller in his later seasons to be something more than what he was, it really didn't affect him well. And again, I will always say until he's put into a position that is uh that is more comfortable and more profitable for him. We won't see the complete uh, acceleration of his career like um, like we should. But um, I just fear that they're going to push him to try to be something he is not. Um, and that's not particularly his fault. That's more of the fault of Chaika for picking him earlier than he should have been picked in my personal opinion. Yeah. I don't disagree with that, especially with how his progression has come is being the fifth overall pick. You would think that he would have made the NHL and made a little bit more impact a lot quicker, but alas, that's not the case. And then you kind of start to wonder, cause we've talked a lot about how this Kyrie's team is going to look so much different next year where a lot of their veteran players are on expiring contracts. And so this team, at least seemingly, is going to be a lot younger starting next season. And so you might have to count more on some of your younger players, like a Barrett Hayton and a Victor Soderstrom, to play minutes at the NHL level quicker than they should be playing them. And so that's something to keep kind of keep an ear out for and a lookout for um, as we move into the offseason here over the next month or so but before we get to the offseason obviously the Coyotes still have plenty of games left and if you're following along at home you know that the Coyotes as of right now are back into the fourth seed in that western division um, ahead of the St. Louis Blues although the Blues have played two less games than the Coyotes so keep that in mind as they the Blues have had another game they've had another game canceled this week because they were going to play the Colorado Avalanche this week, but that game has since been postponed because the Avalanche have had several players enter the COVID protocol. So the Avalanche are on hold here for at least the next couple days. So the Blues are not going to play for quite a bit longer, which is interesting. So with that said, the Coyotes now coming up, unfortunately, are right back against the Minnesota Wild here coming up at home, coming up tonight, and then again on Wednesday night at Gila River Arena, and and you, <laughs> I, I just don't trust this team against Minnesota this year whatsoever. It's funny, I saw a tweet from Craig Morgan earlier today about the, the Coyotes and how they have performed against um, the rest of their Western Division opponents this year, and I thought it was fascinating looking at that, whom they've done the best job against, this season in terms of racking up points. And it's going to take me a second to bring this up. But I was surprised to see who was where in terms of head-to-head and who they've racked up the most points against this year. So without looking it up, who do you think among the West Division opponents is a team the Coyotes have notched the most points against this season? Anaheim. That's correct. Well done. They've gotten 13 points out of their eight-game series against the Anaheim Ducks. The Blues are second on that list at 11 points in eight games as that series has since wrapped up. 
But in six games against the Minnesota Wild, Corey, they only have two points. They have the Coyotes earned more points against the Colorado Avalanche this year than they have against the Minnesota Wild. It's so frustrating because of the fact that I honestly feel like the Coyotes can beat the Wild and that they should be able to compete against them well. Um, you know, they obviously do well against uh, the California teams because they're they're not a, as of high caliber really this year. The Kings are a little bit on the higher end, but, um, you know, so they obviously compete well against them. They compete well against uh, the Blues because for some reason they've discovered how to beat themselves, um, which is funny because I feel like they beat themselves up all the time. Um, but, uh, cause lots of times when they lose games, it's because they're playing themselves that it's, they're really ruining their own chances. So it's just really ironic that they do so well against the blues, which is basically them. And, um, and, and then I thought that the other team they would be able to do well against would be Minnesota. I feel like there's not, um, a massive you know, skill differential there that is going to really cause them issue. There is a big gap between them and um, them in Colorado and them and, and the Knights. And I won't deny that. I will admit that to anyone, but Minnesota, I feel like is within grasp of them because it is them on their best night. So I just don't understand why they don't play so well against them, to be honest with you. And I would like to see them play much better. Given Minnesota has played um, above their own expectations, and so it might be that they're also kind of riding their own high horse. Uh, I think the biggest reason why the Minnesota Wild are a better have performed so well against the Coyotes this this season is, and I was reading a lot of, of people prior to this year and ter- talking about the differences between the Minnesota Wild and the Coyotes and, and why the Wild might be the favorite in a lot of ways to notch that fourth spot. And to me, it's their depth, right? If you look at their top skill, I think the Coyotes match up perfectly fine against the, against the Minnesota Wild in terms of their top-end, higher-end talent. But when you go from top to bottom, the Minnesota Wild are just a deeper team, and I think that's why the Kyrie struggle against the Wild. And the perfect example of that, Corey, is the Minnesota Wild have 18 players this year that have scored 10 or more points. When you look at the Coyotes this year, that number – is only 12. And that you're so right. Absolutely right. Yeah. And that includes players like your Christian Fishers and your Lawson Krauses who have not reached double digit points this year. You know, Drake Kajula, who is no longer a Kyrie, didn't get to double digit points this year. Um, You know, a couple other players haven't gotten to double digit points this year that I think you would maybe have guessed would have gotten there, but and and that's the biggest difference. And what was the biggest difference in the last game against Minnesota? 
It was the Coyotes' penalty kill. They gave up three power play goals to the Minnesota Wild, and that was your difference. So that's your biggest difference for the Coyotes, and that's tough to overcome. When a team is deep like the Wild, that they're going to be tough teams to play against because that's, that's what makes, in my opinion, the Avalanche so good compared to the rest of the league and even compared to the Golden Knights is the Avalanche can beat you up and down their lineup. They're so good top to bottom. And that's why they're one of the best teams in the league. That's why the Tampa Bay Lightning won a Stanley Cup this year as opposed to what in the past is that that team is just so much deeper than they have been across the John Cooper tenure when since he became head coach. And so it's going to be tough for the Coyotes to overcome, but in some ways they're in kind of in these games against the Wild, but like they just got to do better on in special teams. I thought that's what a lot of the difference was in those last two games against Minnesota was the Coyotes just weren't good on the penalty kill and they weren't really all that great on the power play. So to me, that's going to be my biggest key to watch in these two games against Minnesota coming up is is special teams. And luckily for the Coyotes, they now have their two best goaltenders back for them and Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta, who will – I don't know if you know. I don't know what what Rick Tockett's plans are in terms of if they're going to split the starts this week or what. We know Darcy Kemper has struggled against the Minnesota Wild over the last couple of seasons, so I wonder if they do go back to Ronta in at least one of those games. But uh, to me, that's going to be the big key against the Wild to at least try and get some points on the board here. Is is stop them from scoring on the power play? And Minnesota's power play isn't that crazy good, right? I think they're. I think they're in the bottom half of the league on their power play, but for whatever reason, they got it cooking against the Coyotes last week. Yeah, the the penalty kill of the Coyotes has slowly been getting worse and worse, which is really disappointing because of the fact that the power play hasn't been promising all season. So um, to have both of the special teams not looking good is is honestly kind of frustrating. But, yeah, I have to agree with you on the fact that uh, it is probably the depth as a large part to it. And the fact that we talk all the time about the scoring issues of the Coyotes, it's going to come down to the point where if you don't score enough goals, you're not going to win these games, especially against teams that are formidable opponents. And when you have so many goaltenders that are coming back from injuries and, you know, or if you're going all the way down to your your third goaltender, you need to be able to score goals to offset, you know, those deficits that you will be in. And then on top of that, there's been a lot of issues um, defensively as well. I The thing that I think it's going to come down to in these games is um, – it is how strong they are defensively because of the fact that goaltending doesn't seem to be as good against um, Minnesota for, for whatever reason. Obviously we know that Darcy Kemper doesn't really do well against Minnesota. We've, we've established that, but um, I, I don't think they can really solely count on that. And so in these games, they can't be these close tight games where they're, you know, only one goal is scored throughout the game because they're never going to win those games. And um, so I I think it's going to come down to their ability to score and their ability to tighten it up defensively because they they have to help their goaltender out in these games or they're just going to get annihilated. And uh, one last thing to wrap up the Kyrie's conversation here is uh, taking a look at their strength of schedule remaining for the rest of the season. This is something we looked at not too long ago in comparison to the Blues, and we talked about how the Blues have the toughest schedule remaining in the league. 
Well, the updated version of this is that the Blues now have the third toughest schedule in the league. They have three more games against the Avs, two more games against the Golden Knights, and a game against the Minnesota Wild in their 13 games remaining. The Coyotes have 11 games remaining, and they have the 21st toughest schedule in the league. So it's a much favorable schedule. Three games against LA, three games against San Jose, and like we talked about, two games against Minnesota, which I think you can be competitive in, and then um, the other tough games for the Coyotes are going to be two games against the Golden Knights, which is going to be tough, as we already know, with watching those two teams play. So that's what's coming up for the Coyotes. The stretch drive is on, and they are in a playoff position right now. The Wild are 25th right now um, for power play percentage with 16.9%. The Coyotes are tied for 17th at 20% with the Flames. There you go. So I I was right. I wasn't 100% sure if if I was correct about the Wild being a bottom half penalty power play. But they are. So I'm glad I actually remembered that somehow, some way, without actually looking it up. Okay, so let's close out the show with our sporty question of the week, which you can find on all of our social media platforms. And I decided to ask this week about the Sporty Nation's Guilty Pleasure TV show. And we have some responses from a couple of people. But before we get to that... um, I will give my answer first, and then you can answer it, Corey. So, right now, I am watching um, Teen Wolf. So, that if I had to answer, like, what would be my Guilty Pleasure TV show right now, that's it. Is that's, that's what me and Kat are watching right now is Teen Wolf. And I consider that a, a Guilty Pleasure show because it was like, it ran for 100 episodes but I feel like it was still very under the radar. Not a lot of people talked about it because it was on MTV. But um, I it's I recommend it. It's actually pretty good. Um, more recently than that, 100% for me at least, um, Vampire Diaries. I think we talked about that previously. Like that for me is like, again, Vampire Diaries, I feel like not a show that was marketed towards men for the most part. It was mostly marketed towards towards uh women and and the fans of the books who again were probably mostly women too so as a as a male fan of vampire diaries that was my other choice too those are my two shows of which pulse deal with vampires and werewolves do you see a trend here i do see a trend here i mean i don't think there's any any problem with that the the funny part is um uh, a good friend of ours, Courtney, had commented on Instagram and said the same thing, Vampire Diaries. And if I was to choose one, mine would also be Vampire Diaries because um, I got way more into that show than I would like to admit. Like, I stopped watching it um, right before because I started watching it when they were in their last season. And um, I stopped watching it because I got too attached to it. Like I would be on vacation and I would just be wanting to watch the show. So I was like, I need to stop this. This is not healthy. And then you guys during quarantine started watching it and convinced me to watch it again. And then I just basically blew through the whole rest of all of the seasons, which is what, eight seasons. So um, 
I, I started from where I kind of like left off. I had to catch myself up on a couple things, but um, yeah, that one would definitely probably be my guilty pleasure. I'm trying to think if there's any other shows that I like hate that I watch that, but it's funny. Cause there's, I feel like there's a lot less that I am like, it's a guilty pleasure of now than when I was younger, because I feel like as an adult, you have a little bit less time to watch things. Um, and when I do watch things, it's usually the same um, stuff that I used to like that I've already seen. Cause I'm usually watching it like before I go to bed. So, you know, it's, uh, my Rick and Morty's and some family guy. And I know I sound like a complete guy saying all this, but um, I, that is kind of my like constant rotation, um, the office and stuff like that. So and none of them are really guilty pleasures. Someone told me that I should say that my, my answer should be arrow, which is totally, uh, there's no way I can say that's my guilty pleasure considering the fact that I, I went to Comic-Con just to see the cast of Arrow and I I dressed up as Black Canary one year. So I don't think I can call it a guilty pleasure if I'm like announcing it to the world. So yeah, that's not, yeah. Guilty pleasure is like a TV show that you're maybe might be afraid that you watch or are a fan of. That's the I, way I would describe it. I do... Um, I, I do have to say it, I think most of us back in the day had a lot of really bad guilty pleasures when it came to the old reality shows of MTV. Mm -hmm. Like when they had real world, real world challenge. Um, uh, what is, what was that? Room Raiders. And huh. I love um, Room Raiders. That was, that was a great show. And then what was the other one? It was like next or something like that, where they get next. off a bus yeah. and then the person would just be like next. I remember that show too. Um, and then they did like parental control after that. Th those I feel like were all a bunch of guilty pleasures. No one actually told anyone that they were watching those shows, but everyone watched them. And, and then like Jersey shore too, add that to the list too. Oh, yes. And Jersey Shore on top of that. The, all of those type of ones. The only one that like, and I'm trying to think too, because there's a lot of E did a lot of those type of things too, where they did a lot of, you know, and I was never one of those real housewives one. I, that, that, I never got into that, but I did watch all the like WWE ones, the reality shows. Those are probably a guilty pleasure of mine. Like I watched uh, Total Divas and Total Bellas and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people, I, I am not one of them, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who have um, Keeping Up with the Kardashians is one of theirs because I'm sure there's a lot of people that watch it and don't want to admit to it. I don't really watch that one. If there's one that was like a, a similar that I, was probably a guilty pleasure that I haven't watched recently anymore, I think it was on Bravo, is uh, Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> I got kind of deep into that one, and and I'm kind of embarrassed about that. That's funny. I didn't even, I have no idea what that is, so I figured that's a probably good choice. We also had some other choices. Um, we had uh, Isha and um, 
Ken Stapon from uh, the Hockey Podcast Network, they both said uh, Hell's Kitchen, which I've never seen. I have never seen Hell's Kitchen either. I have seen um, the the bar one, though, where they go and restore bars, where he yells at people. Bar Rescue? Bar Rescue. I feel like it's close to Hell's Kitchen, right? Similar? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So I've seen that one. That's, that's something, I guess. So, yeah, do you still have time to... Uh, do, we, do you have any other um, comments that we received that I may have missed? from around the internet um well your, your dad commented uh-huh. what did he say again i forgot what he said oh yeah let me let me bring it up here what he what he said here uh you texted me the, the thing uh he said floor is lava oh yes i tried to watch floor is lava i genuinely that was one of the ones i tried to get into um during quarantine and i couldn't get into it just could not get there i i watched like three episodes and tried to enjoy it but i couldn't i yeah i have i haven't seen it um personally um i feel like there's a lot of other netflix stuff on on there that i and you know what's funny normally i'm a big like game show competition show person so i feel like it's right up my alley because like i love watching for example, I watch um, I watch a couple like game shows um, recently. Like one of them's called The Chase. I've, I've been watching that. Like that's really fun because it's got like um, uh, um, Ken Jennings on there and a couple other and James Holzhauer from Jeopardy and they're like the guys you go up against trivia against. And I that's like, not the one that reached out to me to try and be on there. I think show, so. yes, it? I believe that's the exact show. Yes. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I would have lost so quickly. I was like, uh, no. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, Corey's not the, the trivia person that, like, I am. I'm, I figure, I think I'm the better at trivia. Like, so if we... Yeah, ever, I mean, we, I think it depends on the trivia. There's some trivia that I'm, like, really good at. Uh-huh. It depends on what it is. But you're, you're, like, you've got knowledge about a little bit about everything. Yes, and so yeah, if when bar trivia starts to open up again, we should do a bar trivia night and just crush it. I do know a couple people who host like bar trivia nights. I mean, like so do you. I think Bauer was doing one for a while. Yes, yes. So, uh for those of you who don't know, Bauer is Mike Mike Bauer is his full name. Um he is the host for the Diamondbacks. So you will see him uh, as the in-game host during those games, him with Vanessa. He was hosting some of those for a while before all this COVID stuff hit. So, yeah, we'll have to find one of those and do that. I'm trying to think of things that I'm really – there is some music trivia. I'm pretty good at a lot of music trivia. Um, Some movie trivia, if it's in, like, my realm of movies, um, you know a lot better for the ones that are, like, the old classics that I don't mm-hmm. know. Yes, so. exactly. And like, and politics too, and history. I think I, I'm, I'm good at, and, and most of the sports trivia too. Yeah, I do better at history. I, I had a big thing of uh, world war two and I know a ton about um, 
the the whole thing in Somalia because I did the whole thing on Black Hawk Down in like high school and got read every single book possible because I just got really into that. But those are kind of my two things. It may be some Revolutionary War stuff, but you're much better on the whole spectrum of things. See, I know certain categories. You know everything. <laughs> I, I Yeah, this is fair. I, I know a little bit about a lot of different things. I'm not an expert on anything by any, by any means, but I have like a lot of weird shit that I know that just like stuck in the back of my brain for any reason. And like, I'll play along with these trivia competitions. And I'm like, I, I feel like I do. Okay. Like under who wants to be a millionaires or whatever, or your, or the chase. Like I, I do. Okay. I'm not like as good as some of these other people, but usually if it involves multiple choice, I'm usually pretty good at it more so than, just open answer type trivia contest where that's a little bit tougher for me because I have a memory that's like, I have like a trigger memory. I don't know if that's what it's called, but if, if I see something like in a multiple choice that helps me remember things and trigger my memory, as opposed to if you ask me the same question that I, without the answers, that would be a little bit tougher for me to answer. You do really well in that game at Dave and Buster's where you have to do the trivia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which they got, I think they got rid of the last time I we were there. They didn't have it anymore, and I'm really mad about that. Hey, we're just lucky that Dave and Buster's is still alive and running because they filed for bankruptcy during COVID. <laughs> That's yeah. I didn't. I figured they would. Um, one of these days we'll go back. I know we've mentioned that before. Once we get get out of the uh, the COVID situation here. Granted, Corey and I both have our vaccines now which is good. So we can actually kind of re-enter the world and be perfectly fine. But I think we're waiting a little bit longer. I, I at this point just don't want to be a nuisance to someone else that hasn't gotten theirs yet. Mm-hmm. Once you, once everyone's like widely gotten it, then I'll, I'll feel a little bit better, but I just don't want to be the, the asshole. That's like, Oh, I'm vaccinated. Like, fuck you. You know, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I agree with you there. I'm still kind of the same way. I don't really want to go anywhere for another little while. Um, except for work and, and home and that's about it. So, all right, well, that's about going to do it for the show on this Monday. Do you have anything last words? No, except for, I will admit to you being the trivia King. So if we are ever in a situation where someone says you have to answer trivia to save your life, I will, um, volunteer you up. Thank you very much. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. That's good to know. In case, in case there's like a, a trivia competition out there that involves like having a team of, of players, Corey and I would kick ass. Oh, hell yeah. We would do really good. Cause like, like you said, you do really good on like a general knowledge. And then I have some really like deep knowledge, some weird shit that people wouldn't normally know. It's kind of like the whole Taylor Swift thing. He was like, I had no idea that some of these things, but I just, I, I do deep dives into certain things, by the way, um, Bender's also likes Hell's Kitchen. He said Hell's Kitchen slaps. So he's also on the Hell's Kitchen. So Hell's Kitchen is the number one approved show of the hockey podcast network. It seems a show that I don't think Corey and I have ever seen. So nope, we'll have to try it. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. 
Um, follow us on Twitter at Corey underscore Richie Show. On Instagram at Corey Richie Show. You can see the milkshakes that we made on Saturday night. They were delicious. You can follow Corey at Corey Nicole with two E's. You can follow me on Twitter at rflores91. Follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And, of course, DraftKings.com and the DraftKings app. Promo code THPN. Good night and good hockey, everybody.